Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave, the executive pastor here. And Van, our senior pastor, was uh, originally scheduled to speak tonight, but he is at a wedding of a very close friend. So I'm stepping in to do this one for the evening. So you can say that I'm actually interpreting Van's message for tomorrow. And you can show up tomorrow if you like and listen to Van interpret my message if you so choose to. Hey, how many of you were here last week to hear a Van's firefighting story? A few of you. Well, I am not to be outdone. I want to tell a firefighting story too. Van was telling a story about fighting forest fires at age 17. Well, my firefighting days began in fifth grade. Ooh, you can say ooh, ooh. You heard it, fifth grade. I bought a fire badge. My best friend and I, Steve, went into Jackson, Kentucky and formed the very first Jackson Fire Patrol. And we would walk the streets and we would look for, for smoke coming out of buildings and we would take notes. We had our notepads and we would walk along and say, oh, that, that piece of paper on the ground is too close to that cigarette violation, safety violation. We would walk around town and there would be cats standing over here. It's like, whoa, that cat could go up a tree. That's a very unsafe thing for cats to do for firemen, safety violation. Young children running on the streets and having fun and uh, a little too far away from their parents, safety violation. So we're writing down all these safety violations, but we really never did anything with the, the safety violations. We just wrote stuff. Now, my friend Steve really took this firefighting thing seriously, so he went on to become a volunteer fireman in our, our town. I became a volunteer fireman wannabe. I dreamed of it, but never took the step until one night. Steve and I went to a, a basketball game in Lexington and came back to, to Jackson, which is about an hour and a half away. We roll into Jackson, and then the call came, mobile home fire. And Steve had this really cool red pickup truck. Of course he did. He's a fireman. He pulls out the red light, and we're rolling. We're rolling to the edge of town to fight this, this mobile home fire. So we get into to the area, and the truck had just pulled in. The fire truck had pulled in, but because it was a volunteer fire company, not many people were there to fight. So Steve said, Dave, this is your chance. Here's the helmet. So I climbed up on the truck and grabbed onto the back of the hose and was helping fight the fire, and we were able to save the mobile home. Yay, thank you. Okay, that's my firefighting story, so let's compare. How many of you think my story is better than Van's? If so, vote now. Text 800 silly pastors. Okay, thank you for doing that. If you're joining us for the first time, we're in the final week of our Freedom Project. And our focus this year in our Freedom Project has been breaking free from the fear and anxiety that surrounds provision and finances. And the key verses from 3 John that we've looked at as part of this series is this. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. Now in this text, the word prosper has the idea of an ongoing, progressing state of success and well-being. It's intended for every area of our lives the spiritual, the physical, 
the emotional, and the material. And the part of this, this makeup of who we are, of being created in the image of God, is to worship Him. We are designed to be worshipers. And so there's this continuous flow of abundant relationship, abundant joy, abundant goodness. And as we continue to step into that flow of worshiping, is that we begin to experience more and more freedom in every aspect of our lives. You see, worship is a whole life thing. We worship through our voices singing like we were a little earlier, but we also worship through making the declarations of statements of truth that say, hey, we are moving forward here. We also worship with our entire bodies, by dancing, by lifting our hands, by standing quietly, by kneeling, all ways of using our bodies to say, God, everything we have belongs to you. Our worship is shown through our lives of of living with good character and loving others. Our worship is shown through creativity and through work. The work we do with our hands and with our minds of working and then giving the, the products, the produce, if you will, of our labors. Those are all acts of worship. And we also worship with our financial giving. Last week we learned that there are different motivations to giving. There are four motivations. And the first motivation is a moving or compelling need. A moving or compelling need. See, God is compassionate and we're created in his image. So when we see something happen, like an earthquake or a tornado, something happens in our hearts that we want to contribute, to be a part of the solution. So it stands to reason because of God's compassion in our lives and we're made to be compassionate, we're going to be drawn to giving. And it can be done as a form of worship. But it can also just be a a natural human response that people not even following Jesus can actually give out of this reason. Or we can give with a compelling vision. And compelling vision is when individuals or organizations will see this, this, this big picture and will follow that big picture and there's talk around that vision. And that vision stirs within us something bigger that we want to be a part of. So we'll give. And that's not a bad thing because that can be a form of worship too. But in our culture, there's the mindset often that bigger is better. And so there's this continuation of just we have to continue to articulate the vision better and better. And then it becomes based on how compelling our presentation is. Another motive is thankfulness for blessings. Another reason we give. We give because we've seen him do something in our lives. Experiencing a promotion or we have a new job or our house sold recently. Maybe a healthy baby. Some type of financial prosperity. And we should be saying, God, thank you for pouring those blessings into our lives. And so that is a reasonable motivation. But what happens often is that we can slip into a dangerous mindset. 
And the mindset is, God, what have you done for me recently? Or God, here I've given something to you and that things are not going so well. In fact, I've lost my job or the car's broken down. You see, it's easy under this thankfulness to get in the mindset that God becomes like the great vending machine. That somehow if we give God something, either our service or our finances, then he is obligated to give something back to us. But that's not a healthy mindset because then it breeds bitterness within our lives. And it breeds fear. The bottom line reason, a healthy motivation for giving is because he is worthy. This is the foundation for giving is that God is worthy. He is beautiful. He is the creator God. He is our father. He has poured out his goodness within us. He has poured out his salvation within our lives. And our response is to say, God, thank you. We love you. The living God, the creator of the universe, desires relationship with you and me. And he's given us the greatest purpose of all is just to enjoy him forever. There's a great illustration of giving just because God is worthy in the New Testament. And the story takes place at the end of Jesus' life and ministry. In fact, it's the last week that he's alive. And he's in this small town called Bethany, which is just outside Jerusalem. And he's at the point where he's explaining to his friends, his followers, that the end of his life is soon coming. And people are plotting against him, even as he's at the dinner. But his friends start arguing. They begin to say, Jesus, what are you up to? And then they'll go back to casual communication. So they're just not getting it. And Jesus is in the house of a man by the name of Simon the leper, whom he had healed. And let's see what happens at that dinner. So while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she had poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This story is also recorded in the books Matthew and John. And the writer John says that this is Mary, who is the sister of Martha and Lazarus, a couple of good friends of Jesus. As they're at this point at the, at the dinner table, and Mary brings out this expensive perfume. And some estimate that that is worth a year's worth of salary. Not only does she have this expensive jar, which she breaks in one of the stories. But she also lets the perfume just roll over Jesus' head. So she has taken almost a year's worth of her salary and just broken it over Jesus' head. And there's significance about that because it grows over his head, but it also, she anoints his feet a little bit later in that story. 
But breaking it over his head is a way of saying, I honor you as someone who is important, who is worthy of attention. You see, there were not a lot of showers in those days. And so here you hear this act of refreshment, an act of giving service out of humility and care in order to refresh Jesus. He's reclining at the table. In fact, they would lay back like this in order to eat, so he was on his side. And so she anointed his head and his feet. But there was also a prophetic act, an act of saying, this is what God is up to right now, in that she was preparing him for his burial. You see, at this point in time, none of the rest of Jesus' friends were getting it, but Mary was getting it. Mary was able to see just with the revelation of, of God, with this great understanding that God had given her, that at this moment in time, that Jesus was preparing to die for the sins of the world. That for all humankind, Jesus was going to be crucified. She was able to see that. And in this moment, she said, he is worthy of my attention and my worship. But the disciples were indignant. I mean, they were really, really, really mad because they're saying all this money, we could have had money from the sale of this perfume and we could have fed the poor. Now, you really can't blame these guys for getting a little upset. They just couldn't get it. Because they had walked with Jesus for three years, and there's this assumption that over the course of those three years, Jesus had ministered to the poor with his friends. You see, part of the priority of their ministry was to address that compelling need or that moving need in front of them. So meeting this need of the poor would honor God, so they thought. But Jesus calls Mary's act a beautiful thing. Because she's a worshiper. Jesus says, you'll always have the poor here. But you won't always have me here. Not like this. And in this place of humility, in this humble state, about to die for the sins of the world, Jesus vulnerable here in front of his friends. But it appears like this woman is wasting her salary. Wasting her salary with no apparent outward impact. So she does this act, and then Jesus makes this astounding statement. A statement that says, wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's act of extravagant worship will be honored. Giving in this moment was not stirred by some compelling need. It was not motivated by some great vision that was, Jesus was talking about or a great presentation that we should be together and go, go do it. There was no recent blessing that was even being discussed. In fact, they were fighting over places of friendship with Jesus and what's going to happen next. But this act of giving was just because she loved Jesus so much. Jesus, who is about to die for the sins of the world, who's about to come face to face with Satan, his enemy, in order to crush him. Jesus was about to crush Satan and usher in the kingdom of God. That's what he's facing. And he is worthy of worship. He's worthy of it. 
See, the disciples, compassionate for the poor. That wasn't a problem here. The real problem for them is that they were not seeing truly who Jesus is. William Barclay, who's a New Testament scholar, wrote this about the story. He says that the story shows us love's extravagance. Love's one desire is to give the utmost limits. This shows us that there are times when the common sense view of things fails. Common sense obeys the dictates of prudence, or prudence really means just being disciplined and and managing and being motivated out of good thinking, good reasoning. He's saying common sense obeys the dictates of prudence, but love obeys the dictates of the heart. The highest motivation in giving in worship is because that's what we are made to be and do. The highest motivation is because he is king and he is worthy. There's another great story from the Old Testament, from the life of Hezekiah and his relationship with the people of Israel and Judah. Many of you that were here early on in the series remember the story of Hezekiah, an Old Testament king. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other podcasts of this series. But we learned that Hezekiah was a a king who had every opportunity not to follow God. But he took the opportunity to break with the patterns and lifestyles of his father to pursue after God. And so what he began to do was to draw an entire nation that had been walking apart from God back to God. And the instructions that he gave is that to come together and corporate worship again, which had not been happening And there was a temple where they would worship together, but this temple had been just violated with pagan worship. So he gave the instructions, said, hey, you are the true worshipers of God. Go in and clean out the temple and let's start worshiping God again. And so they did that in a matter of eight days. People were really happy. They came together. They worked together and and everything was set in motion to start worshiping God in that location. And there was such great joy... Because people were beginning to see again who God was. There was great joy because as community together, they began to understand who they were in God. There was an identity change for them. And out of that was an abundance of worship. In fact, they worshiped for two weeks. They were to worship for one week and said, hey, that was so fun. Let's do it again. And they continued into the second week. After that second week of worship, let's see what happens. I'm going to read from 2 Chronicles 31, verse 5. The Israelites generously gave the first fruits of their grain, new wine, olive oil, and honey, and all the fields produced. They brought a great amount, a tithe, which is a tenth of everything. So out of this joyous expression, they're bringing in all their gifts. And when Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps... Heaps, isn't that a great word? That's a lot. A whole lot. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Heaps, lots, a whole lot. So when Hezekiah and his officials came and saw the heaps, they praised the Lord and blessed his people Israel. Now here, these people who had wandered away from God, 
who began to, to respond in relationship to God again and began to understand their identity as true worshipers of God. Out of the flow of their hearts, they began to just give generously. And one of the things they would do is to give the, the first fruits of their labors. I mean, how many gardeners are in here? Like to grow flowers or tomatoes? Okay, when they start coming up, isn't there kind of like, ooh, this is going to be good. I love these tomatoes. These are some of the best tomatoes I've ever had. Now, what happens if you decide to take those tomatoes or those flowers and you know right off the top they're going somewhere else? In fact, you're going to give a tenth of them away right away. What, what goes on inside of you? Some excitement? A little hesitancy is like what's going to happen here? Because what if it doesn't rain or too much rain and... You see, there's, there takes some faith, takes some risk to be able to, to give of our first fruits because there's no guarantee we'll get more. It's a huge sacrifice. But they were giving out of a deeper grasp of God and who He is. They were grasping that. They, they were having a greater picture of God is worthy. And with the focus on God in worship and understanding who they are, being filled with, with joy in God's presence. Together they saw God's blessings. They saw the heaps. And there was so much that was, that was given is that Hezekiah instructed that there would be storerooms built in parts of the temple just so they could contain all the abundance that had been given. So what would this type of giving look like for us in Northwest? What would it look like for you and for me? Well, it can look like the first fruits. That of our total income, that our top priority is just right off the top, we give. We get paid, first part of that goes to God. It can look regular and planned. In other words, that we make a regular part of our lives of, of giving and planned giving. And if we're away and, and miss a week where we're unable to give for some reason, that we have a plan to make that up. It can be joyful and willing. God, I want to worship you as fully as I can. I want to continue to grow and giving of my finances, of giving of my time. God, I want to set my heart on that and experience joy through that. And then there's a sacrificial piece. To be able to give enough that we miss it. That involves some trust. A few years ago, we did a, a financial series here at Northwest. And during that series, we were challenged to, if we had never given money before, to begin giving to take that step. And for those of us that have been giving regularly for a while, we were encouraged just, just to take an additional step. And one of the steps that was encouraged was to do an additional $5 a week. So Sharon, my wife and I decided, and we've been tithing, giving 10% of our income for years, and that's been a discipline for us. But we decided, hey, let's take that step and do the additional $5 a week. And I have to admit that just, okay, I made this decision, but boy, it stung a little bit. It's like, well, that, that's an extra, that, that's worth a cup of coffee or a bagel. And so I'm wrestling a little bit. It's like there's this comfort zone I'm in. 
but I chose to take that step. And we've continued doing that for a number of years, and we sat down this past week and discovered that on top of the 10% we were already giving, we had built up over the number of years, increased to an additional 2% of giving. And we never missed the money. Now we did that giving just to take the risk as an additional way of saying, God, we worship you and, and here you go. We joyfully give it. But I have to tell you in my life, and many of you know the story of my family, that over the past eight years we have had tremendous health problems. And we have faced some tremendous medical bills that I had no idea how in the world they were ever going to be paid. But over the course of these years, if we've seen God provide for us that all those medical bills were totally wiped out, we were able to pay cash for a car. And as I look back, there's kind of a mystery to it. It's like, wow, this is exciting. This is, God, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. But that's been part of the, the adventure for us as a family is that we, we said, hey, God, we're going to take this risk just because you're worthy. And we've seen the overflow of God's goodness to us. You see, for all of us, we are challenged to grow as worshipers in our, in our singing and our lifestyles and our service. But we're also challenged to grow as givers. And the writer Paul encourages us in this growth when he writes, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. One of the stories, and some of you were at Vineyard Northwest at this time, when we were meeting at the YMCA, and it was a Sunday morning, and the, the church was packed. The Y was packed. And it was just at the course where the, the worship band was beginning to play, and Van was getting ready to worship, and frankly, he says he got worried. Because he was looking around, and the place was packed, and he said, God, what are we going to do next? There's no more room. What are we, we going to do? And he, he says that God told him, just test me. Just test me. Step out and take a risk. And that was the beginnings of what got us into the building here. But it was more than that. I think it was a prophetic word to Van to, to give him the, the, the motivation and the courage to say, hey, I'm going to back you up here. But it wasn't only limited to Van, but it's for all of us. That our call as a church in this community is to continue to take the risk. To test God and say, okay, God, I'm stepping out. You're going to show up? That's his call to us. God is calling us and inviting us as a church body to continue to take risks. To step out and to worship him with our giving because he's worthy. You know, we've been making a verbal declaration for the last eight weeks. And that's been important because something is changing in our hearts. But there's an additional step that God is inviting us into. It's the steps of action. It's time for us as a church to step in to God's blessings, to step into the flow of those blessings that are just continuous, continuous. May I ask you a personal question at this moment? How many of you went, no. 
Okay, it's not that bad, but... Hey, how many of you enjoy taking showers in the morning? You just prefer to take a shower in the morning. Others of us, evenings. Okay, the people that are not raising their hand for either one is is beginning to make me nervous here. (laughs) For those of us that prefer taking showers in the morning, what is it like to, to roll out of bed and you're just kind of like, oh, it's another day. How am I going to get going? No coffee yet. And we kind of stumble to the shower and we reach out and turn the water on. And that water is just pouring down. Take a deep breath and step into the flow of that water. And that water begins to pour down over us. It's like, oh, I'm waking up. I'm beginning to see clearer. I'm starting to become a little more alive again. Does that just happen for me or is that your experience? Yeah, there's one or two honest people back there. You see, when we make that decision to step into that flow, it's like God's blessings is like that continuous flow of that shower. It's like the water's coming. The blessings are already there. You just got to step into it. But that blessing looks different for each of us. It can be a promotion or a bonus. That blessing may be just our cars running better. It may be just seeing God clear, becoming more wide awake spiritually and seeing what he's doing and cooperating with that. It may be the blessing of good health. It may be the blessing of our utility or food bills decreasing. It may be the blessing of just peace and joy and confidence just in our relationship with God. But all of those over and over and over is a steady flow. And God says, just step into it. So here's the action step. For us to take the step into that continuous flow of God's blessings. I believe that God is calling us and inviting us to increase our personal giving by 3% or more for the next three months. We're going to call this the 3 by 3 declaration. 3% for three months. Why 3%? Because we believe that that is enough to to let us notice it, where it maybe stings a little bit, where it hurts a little bit, where we feel it. But it's a good next step. And why three months? Well, for three months, that gives us an opportunity as a church together doing this as a community That for three months, we begin to build in new routines, some new patterns of giving, forming new habits and some new viewpoints, to experience some new blessings and to really grow and some new experiences in worship. So if I'm here listening tonight and thinking, okay, how does this affect me? Well, practically speaking, so if I haven't been giving anything financially, I begin to give 3% of my income. And if I've been giving 2% of my income, I give 5%. Or if I've been giving 5%, I increase it to 8%. Or if I'm giving 10%, I move it up to 13%. At this point, I'd like to ask the ushers to help me out. That We have some, some cards we'd like to pass out to you. And while they're distributing those, they should be in the back in a little box. And so why don't you go ahead and distribute those. This point one for family. 
And I'll explain a little bit what these cards are. The cards, and we've been handing out different um, items of a devotional book and some cards with memory verses on it. So we've been placing information uh, into your hands frequently throughout this project. I'd like to talk a little bit about the commitment card that we can celebrate together as we read this. And as we just pray about it the next two weeks, because we're going to, over the next two weeks, begin collecting these. Is that there is a, a opportunity for you and I to make a decision of what is our next step in giving. You're not going to be asked to put your names on these cards, but you will be asked at some point to, to turn them back in. There will be one that will be your copy, but there's another one just to be able to turn back into the church in, in a worship context to say, yes, this, along with my brothers and sisters in this family, we're committing to this step together. So a couple of things I'd like to highlight. And if you have copies of the card in front of you, let's take just a minute to look at them. Again, you'll notice there's a personal copy and then the church copy. There's the verse that we've been highlighting throughout the series. There's an additional verse that we'll be reading together tonight to, to close our time together. That worthy is the lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then there's, again, looking at the motivation of a decision of increasing our giving by 3%. Or, if not 3%, there's perhaps another percentage that you're praying about and you're feeling led to, to step into. There's also the steps that we can talk about our intent of giving, that this is, we're going to begin giving if we haven't been giving, or that perhaps we're going to decide our approach to giving, like giving this first as the top priority, or beginning to give regularly, giving joyfully as an act of worship, and giving to my church, Vineyard Northwest, a regular place of worship. You know, it's good to be able to give out in the community, and I encourage you to do that. But there's also a huge blessing in just being able to share financially with the family that you relate with on a weekly basis. There's blessing in that. So again, over the next two weeks, we will be collecting these. Again, go home and pray about it. Um, I'd like to call the worship band up at this point. We're going to move into a time of... Focus worship and, and singing. If you're new with us, we'll spend about 20 minutes or so just worshiping God through singing. Feel free to, um, some people find that it really helps to focus more if you come up front and worship. If that you want to do that, that's fine. Others of you may want to just stay at your seats and raise your hand or sit down, kneel. Those are all expressions of worship. But do feel free to come up front if you would like to. I'd like to read some declarations from Revelation 5. And I'm going to read the first section, and then it's going to come up on the screen, and let's read it together when it does. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and in a loud voice they were saying, 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Please join me in reading. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all of them that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let's worship together. Please join me and stand if you can. Thank you. 